Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. When I was at the American Bar Association mid-year meeting earlier this year, there was a very interesting panel entitled LGBT Rights and Religious Freedom, a Slow-Motion Car Crash, with a question mark. And the answer given by those advocating for LGBT rights was simply, there is no slow-motion car crash because discrimination wins and religious freedom loses. Well, we're starting to see how that might play out here in California. And our guest today, uh, my good friend Ned DeLessi, director of the California Catholic Conference. Our topic is uh, some legislation targeting faith-based colleges and universities. Ned, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Thank you, Alan. Good to be with you and the listeners once again. And uh, good to partner with you in legislative activities, as always. What is California legislature up to this time? Well, the introduction that you gave is an accurate description of uh, what is happening. Perhaps the cars are moving a little more quickly here in California. (laughs) The current controversy focuses around a a Senate Bill 1146, which was introduced, uh, you know, early on in the session and has been amended uh, five times as we move forward here. That bill um, does a couple different things. Um, the the issue that uh, we really enjoy and that we're feeling good about is that it uh, it does require uh, under the Equity in Higher Education Act uh, transparency, and I think we can have uh, pretty much unanimous agreement among the proponents of LGBTQ uh, rights and uh, those of us in the faith based uh, organizations that everyone should know exactly who we are and what we're doing, and particularly in higher education where a student is an adult and they're choosing a particular school for what they view as uh, as a supportive environment to help them move forward in their life. And so the first parts of the bill are very positive. Where it got challenging was when it uh, moved into uh, the whole uh, area of how can they give a private right of action uh, to LGBTQ students in uh, private faith-based organizations without lessening uh, the protections afforded to those uh, institutions. So they've attempted to add that private right of action, and that that thus began a process of paring back uh, the exemption that uh, from the anti-discrimination laws that a faith-based organization could claim. And so now we're into what ends up being the unfortunate role of the government trying to define what they view as appropriate or inappropriate behavior on the behalf of a religious organization, you know, totally out of the scope of where the government should go. So the the issues really pertain to faith-based colleges and universities that hold traditional views on marriage and uh, human sexuality restricted to a heterosexual marriage. Isn't that right? Yes. It, it, uh, you know, that's the, that's the, the sort of the touchstone, that if you have a different view of, of what uh, uh, marriage is, and as those of us in many faith-based organizations have an understanding that marriage between a man and a woman, and we want to live that out in the public way, that that's considered discriminatory. So what are some of the ways that this might play out in terms of 
the life of a college campus. One of the obvious ones that's explicit in the bill is that if you're going to have married student housing, it has to be for same-sex married couples. You can't discriminate against them, right? That's how the state and this bill would like to propose it, that there be a total equity, um, you know, based on how the students are impacted by this. Uh, the example you give is, uh, is certainly one of the prominent ones. Uh, the other one that is mentioned in the bill is the, the whole sense of if you offer male and female bathrooms, how do you accommodate transgender students or those who uh, have a gender identity or a gender expression concern or question going on in their lives? And for those of us who, again, view that, uh, you know, God has assigned our gender and that we, it's not something we choose, you know, this is uh, you know, a particularly challenging arena. The bill doesn't go as far as getting into the whole uh, sports and locker room question at this point, but uh, that becomes another conversation in the various associations that regulate, uh, you know, the sporting activities. The other areas that, you know, it can manifest itself in a student life is, uh, you know, some schools uh, are not going to be in favor of, of having a gay transgender student association. Um, that you know they're not going to view that as a as a, something that they want to promote within the the lifestyle of the campus and the and the arrangement there. Um, for some of the universities, there's really a concern they have um, they have worship spaces as part of the the faith life of the community and and chapels and missions and things like this. And are those um, are those subject to discrimination laws if you don't allow a gay marriage or if you don't allow a, a coupling ceremony for a particular lesbian couple? And, and um, so that's a concern. You know, will it be protected or not protected? Uh, you know, in the in the in the challenging reality of our of our secular society at the moment, you know, they want to accord that you can protect all of your seminarians, all of the people that are studying for ministry, and they can take whatever classes they want. But you have to offer sort of these non-discrimination classes to, or non-discriminating classes to the general student population, and you know, and and for those, for many of us in again faith-based colleges, universities, the faith is a vital dimension of the whole experience of teaching biology or teaching, you know, history or teaching, you know. The mathematics or teaching science. I mean, the, if the faith infuses the, the whole experience, and and so those values uh, would conflict potentially with some students in the mind of the proponents of this bill. So let's take a step back for a moment from the specifics of the bill, and and see if we can put it in some perspective. Do you think, Ned, that it's it's fair to say that the bill reflects an attitude that traditional values held by, you know, by Catholics, by, by my church, by Seventh-day Adventists, by many others, that these values concerning marriage are essentially now equated as being socially unacceptable, as the moral equivalent of racism. Yes, that's the underlying assumption by the, you know, by the proponents of this bill, that you can do privately whatever you want to do, but if you want to do something publicly, that that could be viewed as discriminatory behavior uh, by the larger society because you haven't affirmed their particular view of, of themselves or the world. And therein lies the challenge. And, you know, where where you have a, a public institution, a, a school a, or a higher education facility or a hospital or a charity operation, a charitable operation in the, in the society where you serve the public, if you will, they want to infringe on that and tell you that you can't express those beliefs, you can't live those beliefs, you can't invite 
invite others into living those beliefs or expressing those beliefs um, in a public fashion. It gets even more complex. Right. Well, so one of the other kind of underlying assumptions here, it seems to me, is that religious freedom is restricted to home and church, but when it comes to operating a institution of higher education, a college or university, you have to play by the same rules as everybody else. That would be the underlying assumption of this bill, and even though it is somewhat unclear as to how it, it implicates it, uh, there are certainly you know groups like the American Civil Liberties Union that wants to propose that um, the club or the guideline is, is that if you want to get any public assistance directly or indirectly in terms of accepting um, you know Cal grants in California, which are public grants that help low-income students attend those schools, if you want to accept those, then you have to do it our way. That is really, I think, quite disrespectful, quite prejudicial towards the students themselves who have chosen and using these grants at our schools to be uh, very beneficial to their lives. And so it's sort of insulting and disrespectful to them and discriminating against them, yet it's the way that they want to proceed forward and to equate our belief in traditional values with some kind of overt racism or some kind of overt sexism. So it's certainly true that this particular bill is tied in to those institutions that currently participate in the Cal Grant program that are getting some sort of public funding for student tuition. But the principles underlying the bill don't really have anything to do with public funding. And my concern is, even if the schools opt out of the Cal Grant program, even if they become completely independent of public funding, if their values are equated with racism, how long before the screws are put to them, you either change your policies and practices or else, whatever that else may be? Well, and it's unclear at this moment what that else, you know, would be or could be along the way. I think on the heels of the Hosanna, 9 nothing Hosanna Tabor decision around uh, employment practices by faith-based organizations, and in the face of legally the fact that the, the First Amendment is the First Amendment, and, uh, you know, it's constitutionally protected, the courts have, you know, have constant, consistently supported the fact that a religious faith-based organization is free to express their desires and their interests and their values in public. And so the, it, it leaves those who are who oppose that or review our particular views as discriminatory, it leaves them only the possibilities of coercing organizations into behaving in a way that the society wants them to behave. And therein lies the, the challenge at the moment. You know, what's particularly disturbing is that the federal government and our own state government up until this point has always had a respect for the history and the tradition and the value that these private faith-based organizations have offered in the society and have granted an exemption. And so you've been able to say clearly that, you know, we're we're taking our Title IX exemption because uh, it would conflict with us in these ways and we wouldn't be able to live this out. And we've been able to do that under the Equity and Higher Education Act in California. This is a, a radical departure from that moment and uh, signals, uh, I think, the you know, the, the car analogy that you led in with. You know, Ned, I was doing some research to prepare an opposition letter a few days ago, and I borrowed some language from uh, Justice Kennedy's opinion in the same-sex marriage case from just, what, just last year, the Obergefell case, where he said that 
religious institute, you know, nothing in the decision takes away the rights of religious institutions to hold to their traditional values. That was the issue discussed at, at oral argument. Well, would this impact religious freedom for those who continue to believe that marriage is a man and a woman? And the court has said, in effect, no, it, it shouldn't take away. But now we're seeing immediately, you know, the, the very next year, a wholesale frontal assault on institutions that do hold to these traditional views. And frankly, I'm, I'm very concerned for where we're going to be five years from now, ten years from now, if society continues to believe that our views about marriage are the moral equivalent of racism. Well said, and I think that that is our challenge at the moment. You know, this, this is the time we've been given, and we need to engage with our minds wide open, with our hearts open, and with our lives turned to prayer and with God, and, and we've got to engage because, yes, the, the people who five years ago just wanted to get along don't want to just get along right now. You want everybody to do it your way. My way or the highway, indeed. That's right, and that's the sad reality when this bill overreaches, when it goes beyond the respectful transparency that we talked about at the beginning, when you're just trying to invite responsible adult people to make a choice for what's good for their life and recognize the value of the choices they make. And, um, you know, when that gets overridden by uh, this fictional notion of discrimination, and it should be noted that there is no experience of perfidious discrimination to be brought forward in the private colleges and universities in California. So we're involved in an ideological drill here. Our guest today, Ned DeLessi, Executive Director of the California Catholic Conference, We've been talking about Senate Bill 1146, an attack on faith-based colleges and universities. And as we close, we want to remind our listeners here at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk the talk about religious freedom. We offer help to those suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. And Freedom's Ring is now available on SoundCloud and also on iTunes. Don't forget, friends, freedom is not free. Be informed. Get involved. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Rynock. Till next week, let freedom ring.